Hello, I'm Dave, and shortly I'll be joined by my co-host Ash. Please be advised that the On the Pitch podcast does contain profanity. If you're offended by profanity, then you should probably find some other podcast to listen to. However, if the profanity does not bother you, please practice proper parental discretion. podcast with dave and ash what's up ash well safe to say i'm pretty enraged after wasting an hour and a half watching england who are supposedly one of the favorites for this tournament what an absolute shit show created one chance in the entire game the tactics were wrong sterling's woeful kane didn't get a touch of the ball and we made scotland look like a good team that was a shit match from a neutral's perspective that, you know, I could have taken a nap. I should have played FIFA. Now, I guess what disappointed me was, and I, I know we were talking about it before we came, came on air to record. I'm over here as a neutral and I'm thinking, okay, this is a Derby game. There's going to be a lot of intensity, emotion, <laughs> um proper shithousery that usually occurs during these type of fixtures and I was astoundingly disappointed. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing like what I had pictured it was going to be today and probably one of the worst fixtures that I have seen so far up to this point in this competition at the Euros. I don't give a fuck about Scotland. I'm not going to lie about it. Um, bloody player I really like in Scotland is Billy Gilmore and I'm glad he got mad out of the match but we were woeful we didn't do anything I mean Kane has been anonymous in this tournament you might as well put a fucking Christmas tree up front it'll do more good like you've got Kane up front yet you want to play fucking sideways across the pitch with two holding midfielders when you're trying to win a game you don't need two holding midfielders to start a game Calvin Phillips could have started without Declan Rice or Declan Rice could have started without Calvin Phillips or maybe put Jude Bellingham in there to get the ball forward and drive with it. You know, he's great. I don't care if he's 17. Get Jude Bellingham in there just to get an attacking impotence in the game. You know, he can control the tempo. But he's also got a physical side to him and he can get goals. And Raheem Sterling, fucking hell. What does he have on Gareth Southgate to start every bloody game? And he's the vice captain, for fuck's sake. You know, Jaden Sanchez, Sanchez probably had one of the best seasons of his career. He can't even get near the first team. Oh, people say, bring Jack Grealish on, bring Jack Grealish on. He falls over on the halfway line. Highlight of his game. This England team are going nowhere. All the fucking hype around all this attacking talent. It's good to have it when you've got a manager who doesn't have to utilise it. You're not going to get anywhere out of it. I mean, where do we start, though? Like, do, do you want to start with the team selection? Like, just looking at... Te- they're not going to do o- o- overall. And when I say overall, obviously, I mean the only two fixtures England have played. But if we focus specifically on this fixture, where do we start? Do we start with the, the starting 11 that he put out? Do we start with tactics? Like, to quote Oasis, where did it all go wrong? Pickford in goal was fine. Uh, three chains right back, fine. The two centre backs, fine. Uh, not a problem with any of that. But Luke Shaw, left back, yes, he's had a good season. But is he really that much better than Ben Chilwell? Really? No. Ben Chilwell gives you an option where he'll stay up wide and he'll put crosses in. He'll create widths on the pitch, which will stretch a defence. If they're playing five back, three back, it doesn't matter. And Chilwell's not pretty handy defensively as well. 
few times in our own box, Luke Shaw just stood there and watched them shoot. Chilwell would have been going towards them, closing them down. And, you know, I don't hate Luke Shaw. I think he's a good player. But Ben Chilwell would have been much better for this game because he's a much more attacking option, which Southgate looked like to have wanted with the fullback choices of not picking Walker or Trippier. And when you want that, but every time Luke Shaw got the ball, he tried to drive into the box instead of creating width and Sterling and Mount were already in that position. And you create an overload in the wrong position. But it becomes congested and you can't pass the ball. There's no one out wide to give the ball to. So whereas Ben Chilwell would have been, you know, he, he likes to hug the touchline because he plays it at Chelsea. He's used to playing in that left wing back role, which I think Selgate wanted tonight. Yes, it was a back four, but at times it was more of a back two and the wing backs pushing forward. And Reese James got a couple of good crosses in, which, you know, let enough because we had no shirts in the box all night. But the thing with Ben Chilwell, like I said before, the um, before we came on air, Ben Chilwell gives you a goal for it as well. Like he'll always ghost in at the back post from a cross or from a set piece. He's done it plenty of times at Chelsea this season. He scored about three or four goals, might even be five. You know, also scored in the FA Cup final, but it was disallowed. But that's neither here nor there. And then, but I think the main problem was the two defensive midfielders in the middle. Yes, Calvin Phillips was good against uh, Croatia. He was brilliant. But is this the sort of game where you need two holding midfielders? Like I said, Jude Bellingham probably should have started in that position because he can control the ball, can run with it. He's very technical. And I think that's what we needed tonight. And I would have started Jaden Sancho. And, you know, I would have probably started Mount, left wing and Foden at Cam with Jaden Sancho on the right and had those three in the attacking role switching with Harry Kane up front because I feel they would have gotten him the ball a lot quicker. Because Raheem Sterling, every time he was played in by Mason Mount, brilliantly on two or three occasions, he just miscontrolled it and lost the ball. Countless times he screws up England's attacks because he's because he wants to be a superstar. He wants to just rob with the ball and make it all the glory about himself instead of finding a simple pass. And I know it sounds like I'm going on here, but it's, you know, it's things that normal people can see. And I've had these conversations. Raheem Sterling is the last name that should be on the bloody England team sheet right now. Shouldn't be anywhere near it. He's had a woeful season at Man City. How do you get in the England team when you're that, when you just, you know, you play for yourself and not your team? I don't even know. I, I, well, I have theories. It could be what we call the good old boy system. He's comfortable with these players. They've been together. They know him. He knows them. They rub elbows, so to speak, and they're in the team. Now, I'm speculating. Obviously, I don't know shit about what happens in that dressing room or team selection or any of that. That would be my guess because you're not lying. His form has been abysmal all season for Manchester City. And then he gets selected for England and then starts. And it's like, you know, it's the same shit you've been saying. Just it continues to be nothing but shit. Like That's just we call it like it is like shit. And um, my whole thing with that, too, is I guess my whole thing with that, too, is like you said. Now, if you're the difference, let me let me say this as an international manager, you have a pool of players that you can select from. Most of the time, the common sense thing is you go with who's had the best form, and that's how you assemble your, your side, and generally how you would decipher what is the best starting 11. And I don't think Southgate's got a clue to what that is or what he's doing. And this is me speaking as a neutral because I don't really support either side. 
But for me as a neutral, I don't quite understand why you would play the guys that are in shit form. He's tactically inept. Oh, that shows. It seems like he has to play the same formation. He has no adaptability. England probably could have matched up um, Scotland in a 3-5-2 or 3-4-3. Could have played Dries James and Ben Chilwell left and right wing back, where they've been playing since January, made it to a cup final, finished top four, and won the Champions League. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Champions of Europe. Just in case case anybody out there forgot, we are champions of Europe. These are big... That is the biggest game in a player's career, apart from the World Cup final, which England are never going to make. But anyway, the biggest club, the biggest one of the biggest games you can play in your career is the Champions League final. And those two showed up. They were ex- excellent in that Champions League final. And you think that would make them the first name on the England team sheet because they've probably been the two best pair of fullbacks in the Premier League this season as a pair. Because Trent and Robertson haven't been on it like they usually are. Wan-Bissaka and Luke Shaw, yeah, they've been decent, but they you know, Wan-Bissaka's not even in the England squad. And the Man City fullbacks, I mean, Zinchenko, Mendy, they're all useless. But so you're thinking about probably as a pair, the best two fullbacks in the Premier League. You know, he could have played a 3 4 3. He could have had Bellingham and probably Rice or Calvin Phillips in midfield because he's got a back three behind them. And you could have put Cody in there. You could have put Maguire in there. You know, you could have put some, even Kyle Walker who can play at centre back. You could have put three centre backs in and matched up Scotland. That way, they can't they don't overrule in midfield because it's the same system, and you get those inverted wingers at front to get closer to Harry Kane to play the ball off him and then make runs off him instead of having them so far away from each other that Kane's got to come to the fucking halfway line to touch the ball. And if normal people like me and you can see this, why can't Southgate? It's a one trip pony. Let me pose you this question, right? Because I I've I've been wanting to ask you this because I I hear it all over. In the case of John Stones, can we say that he played better because he had Ruben Gias next to him? No, I don't even think he's had a couple of bad games for England. I don't think he's... He's not really the problem. I mean, mm-hmm. we just know England aren't blessed at centre-back. You've got to pick what you've got. I mean, you know, personally, I think him and Maguire are probably the best duo. But, you know, like I said, we're not blessed at centre-back right now. I mean, I, don't, I like Connor Cody as well. But the problem with England is centre-back is not our strongest position. Full-backs with pretty stacked goal. But it's the two centre-backs and the goalkeeper that are the most worrying in the team. So for that thing, you can only pick what you've got. Whereas in the attack and midfield, that's where Selkie gets it so wrong because he wants to play with his one-trick fucking 4-2-3-1 every day of the week. And, you know, it's, it works against certain opponents. But when you're trying to win a game and show, you show intent and get, get a win, it only goes so far, whereas the, the, the opponents will just sit off you. They'll just sit back and say, right, you can't afford it. Us, we'll hit you on the counter-attack, which Scotland did a few times. And they almost got goals out of it. They did the majority of the match. That's what it seemed like. Scotland was content sitting in and just waiting for that opportunity to use whatever pace they had to get forward and hit them on the counter. Just They almost did, like you said, but obviously to no avail as it finished in a fucking dreadful nil-nil. I mean, Mason Mount and Phil Foden couldn't even get near bloody Hurricane tonight. They just couldn't. And as for Raheem Sterling, everything that went through him failed. And OK, I think he had a decent game against Croatia. He scores, so people hyped it out of, the, out, out of this world. They kept hyping him up like he's always, oh, he's a good player. He's Southgate's man. Yeah, because Southgate's a yes man. and He's a yes man. He'll do what the FA tell him to. And that's why he's still got a job. The FA say jump. He says how high. At the end of the day, you know who he's always going to pick. It's always going to be bloody... Always going to be Sterling. 
Whereas Jaden Sancho, who, you know, he's got a, racks up a lot of the goals and assists. He's a special player. Had a much better season. Can't even get in the team. And Marcus Rashford came on and did absolutely nothing as well. So you've got to picture this. He's playing. He's picking favourites. He thinks mm-hmm. that just, you know, I respect what Marcus Rashford has done outside of football. It's brilliant what he's done. He has done so much for a lot of people. But at the end of the day, it doesn't mean he should get an automatic passage into the England team. Yes, he deserves to be picked, sure. But when he does, when he comes on in two games and doesn't make an impact, you've got to look at the manager and think, why has he done the same thing twice? We had a lot more joy today if Sancho started on the left-hand side or the right-hand side. He can play both. And he started Ben Chilwell in midfield and probably Jude Bellingham in central. Sorry, Ben Chilwell left-back and Bellingham certainly in midfield. Because it would have given us more control on the ball and more options going forward. But like I said, it should have been a 3-4-3. Three, three, three. Because he's got the players to run that system and a lot of them are comfortable in it. And it would have got Mount and Foden a lot closer to Kane. And that way they can play off him, play into him, run off him, get the ball because we know Kane can pass the football. Most assists in the Premier League this season. Most goals in the Premier League this season. But when you bring those players away, it just doesn't work. And with the 3-4-3, you can get Ben Chilwell and Rhys James higher and wider up the pitch to stretch the Scotland team. I mean, this is stuff that I'm not a coach or in any way, shape or form, but this is obvious things that anybody with half a brain can work out. I just... I think with all the... With the lineup that you had just mentioned, he could have even played a 3-4-2-1, 3-4-3. Well, the 3-4-3 more mainly is sometimes a 3-4-2-1, especially the way Chelsea play it. But England could have done the same thing because Mason Mount and Phil Foden aren't naturally wide players. But that's where you get the wing backs in those positions. Mm-hmm. To create, and then they effectively the become, they would effectively become inverted inside wingers. forwards at that point. Yeah, or inverted wingers. And Mount and Foden can play that role perfectly because of how they play at Man City and Chelsea. We've all seen the talent they both have. Utilise what they can do and utilise the two best fullbacks in the country. I mean, seriously. So, with seen... things, th- so it's safe to say, right, that things have gone... Things have gone askew in the England side because the manager, in our opinion, hasn't got a fucking clue. He doesn't have a clue. Like I said, it's the same system every bloody game. And this is a side that, you know, when we play someone like San Marino, you know, you see teams like, you know, even not even like the Germany's, Italy's, France or Belgium's or teams like that. Lesser nations can still put eight or nine past San Marino, yet England want to sit and play five. That should be a team we're comfortably getting close to 10 goals against. They're semi-professional. But Southgate is so scared to be an attacking manager. He's so scared. The tactics are so conservative, no matter who we're playing. We beat Austria 1-0 and Romania 1-0 in the warm-ups. You're expecting two, three, four goals in them games. And that's not disrespecting them nations. It's just that we have a ton more quality than them. And it just makes you wonder, what's it going to take for this England team to ever be good? Because the talent, for once, is actually there. The players get along. They know each other. You know, the rivalries between clubs don't seem to be an issue. Which, you know, what we saw in the olden days with the likes of Rooney, Gerard, Lampard, Neville, Ferdinand, Terry Cole, they wouldn't talk to each other because of the club rivalry was so strong. Whereas these players, they've grown up together through the youth teams. You know, some of them are best friends. We know the friendship between Mason Mount and Declan Rice. All right, yep. Chelsea West Ham, the biggest rivalry in the world. But it's not the point. You know, Foden and Mount will pass each other. They'll get, they'll get Kane involved. These players are friends. 
and they can put the rivalry aside for the national team. I mean, hell, if Spain could manage it, I know you don't like Spain, but you have to think of it this way. That team was Real Madrid and Barcelona the whole way through it for that period of domination from 2008 to 2012. Yes, they were rivals, but they managed to be successful, even though they probably hated each other most of the time. And that's what England have finally got. And now you've got a manager who doesn't have a fucking clue what he's doing. And people might call me an arsehole for that, and people might not agree with me. Fair enough, but the evidence is there. When you can't beat teams like Scotland, or you know you only beat Romania and Austria by one goal to nil, you're not going to beat. When it comes to playing someone like France, Germany, Portugal, Holland, Italy, Belgium, we're never going to win. We don't stand a chance, and that was proven in the last World Cup. Yes, we got to the semi-final, but what they don't tell you is Panama, Tunisia, Sweden, and Colombia were the teams we beat. Lost to Belgium in the group stage, lost to Croatia in the semi-final, and then lost to Belgium again in the third-place playoff. When it comes to playing a team that are on our level or better than us, we can't compete. The proof is in the pudding, as they say. I mean, I got, nothing, I got nothing to argue with about that because it is the truth. I mean, I understand playing who's in front of you, but you're right. When they did play quality, it looks like utter capitulation at that point. And the thing is, we've got the quality that these teams have. It's just the way they're managed. England should probably run with a 3-4-3. Kane is the big man in the middle because obviously you want Harry Kane, but you need to get the players around him to give him the service. Otherwise, that's any, same as any striker. They can't score goals out of thin air. They need the ball into them, around them. That's why if you play that 3-4-3, three, three, you get the two wingers or inside forwards or attacking midfielders, whatever you want to call them. You get them closer to the striker. You can play between the three, create triangles, get the wing backs involved on the outside of each thing, stretch the pitch, create space, get a midfield runner from deep, like we see with Kante at Chelsea. It's just, it's not a difficult thing to learn. And it's just not difficult. And the minute you do that, you, you change, and you can change this in a game. And the minute you do that, it makes the other team think they have to change their shape or adapt to what you're doing. And in that second while they're thinking, that's when you can get them. And it's just about being a good tactician and knowing when to tinker and knowing when to change things. Because if you play the same formation for every game and you don't change it, you're going to get figured out pretty damn quickly. And I think that's the problem with England. You know, yes, we beat Austria, Romania and Croatia, but that's only going to take you so far because other teams are going to watch these games and think, OK, this is where their strengths are. This is where their weaknesses are. They don't create too many chances. Kane's isolated. They'll just stop the ball coming into him. And when he's your main goal threat and he's barely had a sniff in two games... You're never going to win a match. And you just think of the likes of, if we have to play, if we have to play the Italy side right now, well, I think they're the best team in the tournament as of, as of right now. We had to play that team at some point. They would play us off the park. Okay, so let's say you're the manager. Let's say you're the England manager today. And you have to work with that starting 11 he put out. How do you go about that? How do you go about setting them up? How do you how do you go about managing them during the match? Well, if I wasn't so on and so forth. Out. Yeah, let's if say I, you are the manager. Let's say you, sir, are the fucking England manager. And I have to use the lineup Southgate picked. Yes, you have to use the lineup that Southgate picked and the player pool that Southgate picked. How do you go about that? So today, it's it's the big old it's the it's it's fuck it's Scotland. If I don't need to explain that if people who follow this podcast are proper football people, so you already know this is beyond football, obviously. 
but it's one of the biggest fixtures of the group stages. What what do you do? You have I this team, that. this pool of players. Like, what are your tactics? Who are you subbing? Who are you not subbing? So on and so forth. Well, the lineup he picked already, already leaves me at a fucking disadvantage because I wouldn't have picked Shaw. Uh, I wouldn't have picked Shaw or Sancho to start it, but not Sancho, sorry, Sterling. But if I had to pick them, I'd tell them, you know, I'd tell, you know, to get, move the ball quickly, move it quickly, make the Scotland team work, tire them out. You know, even if that means pushing up a little bit and pressing high, because when you press high, it makes the opponents have to pass the ball quicker as well. And that's when it can lead to mistakes. You can win it back high up the pitch. And that's what I would have been asking for for the first 10, 20 minutes to try and snatch an early goal. Obviously, you can't press for 90 minutes. So after that initial period, you know, period, sit back a little bit, maybe look to counter for a bit, just to, you know, regain some energy. But when we're on the ball, you have to get Mount, Foden, Sterling, you have to get them closer to Harry Kane. You know, as we're saying, even if you fire some long balls into Harry Kane, get the players around him so we can knock it off to them. And then you've got three, four advanced players in that position to try and create something. Of course, then when you're in attack, you can bring the wing axe forward. If they've got a good stamina, the minute you lose the ball, back down to defend, CDMs, CDMs will be sitting there. At half-time, if it's still nil-nil and you want to win the game, maybe take one of Calvin Phillips or, like I said, Declan Rice off. Bring Drew Bellingham into the game. If Sterling's playing as woeful as he is, don't give him, don't give him a chance. Show him that it's not, it's not fun in games. You perform or you're gone. Then I want to say get Jaden Sancho on the pitch, for example. I know people were crying out for Jack Grealish. He did nothing today. Nothing at all. So I'd get Jaden Sancho on the pitch because we've seen how good he has been at Dortmund. You know, he's creative. He can score goals. He's quick. He's, he's got tricks. You get Jaden Sancho on the pitch to give you a different dynamic. Maybe you do bring Maybe you do. Maybe you move Reece James to centre-back and bring on a wing-back. Or you bring on a centre-back and you change the formation to a 3-4-3 just to get those players up the pitch and attacking, stretching Scotland. That's the thing. You need to learn. Southgate doesn't want to change anything. He sets up the team. It stays like that for 90 minutes. All these, all these institutions are like the like. He won't change the formation. And for me, I, I always feel like you need to have one or you know, at least three, four formations you can use in a game to try and change something. Whether you need to protect the league, get a goal, or you know, go all gun blazing because you, like I said, to win the game. You could, not every one single tactic won't cover everything. And I think that's, that's what I'd do. I'd make sure that if things weren't working, you change something. If you're defending well and Scotland aren't really coming at you, which, to be honest, they only came at us on the counter-attack and a brief spell in the first and second half where they wanted to control the ball and look like scoring. But you get that in every game. No matter who you're playing, there's always a, you'll always give up a chance. And if you defend it properly, it won't cause any problems. But the problem is, it's about knowing when to make the change and which players to bring on to change it. But I always feel like any half-decent manager worth their salt has more than one tactic. If you need a goal late on, bring on another striker, take a centre-back off. Especially if it's like, especially if that goal is a game, especially if that goal can guarantee you qualification to the next round. So, you know, I think you need to be pragmatic. But if I had picked the team today, I would have picked Bellingham in midfield over probably, I probably would have started Bellingham over Calvin Phillips. Not to discredit him, I just feel like Rice is more secure defensively. I would have picked Chilwell at left back and I would have picked Sancho up front instead of Sterling. And I feel that could have made the difference today. Okay, so let's... We all, we all watched. I, I personally thought Harry Kane didn't do dick today. So what do you, what do, you do in that case, though? What, what are you doing? Now we have that situation. 
that factual situation of Kane playing like shit, what, what do you do? I don't think it's Harry Kane's fault, per se, because nobody's given the ball to him. Like, the, the attackers, the problem is they all want to dribble and run at goal themselves instead of looking to a prolific goal scorer and striker. They weren't getting the ball into him. So I don't think it's as much as Harry Kane's fault, but I feel like, in a way, he has to do more. Like, he has to, he's the captain. He has to get this team lifted. And, you know, he's very lazy off the ball. Like, he doesn't really press as intense as other players should. Like, he always seems to be walking towards the goalkeeper or like jogging instead of rushing to press him. Now, in the first five, ten minutes of the game, I want you rushing the keeper, closing him down. Because if he miss kicks it or makes a mistake and it bounces off you, it could go in the back of the net. And I know it's rare, but it happens. And I just feel like with the for- with a change of formation, getting Foden and Mount closer to Kane, they then bring him into the game because they can play off him, through him. Because, like I said before, play most assists and most goals in the Premier League this season. So he knows how to set someone up and he knows how to score goals. So if you can get those two players close to him, because Foden and Mount are exactly the same way, they can score an assist. And like I said, you get those players together, playing off each other. Yeah, a quick motion, you stretch the Scotland defence and then they don't know who to follow. Or one of them runs one way, creates space on the other side. And that's the problem. I mean, I'm not surprised Harry Kane was subbed off, but I'm surprised it was for Marcus Rashford, because then he didn't give us a single aerial threat in the game, especially from an attacking sense. So maybe Calvert-Lewin should have came on, because we know he's very good in the air. But the thing with Harry Kane is you have to give him service first. You can't rely on him to you know, make his own chances, because the service has to go into a striker, and that's down to Southgate playing this negative style of football. I think if Calvert-Lewin started, it wouldn't have been any different. It would have been exactly the same. He would have been isolated up on his own. So, and that's the thing when you're playing against three centre-backs. Getting those two attacking midfielders closer to him then gives it a three-on-three situation. And the wingers out wide to pull, the, to pull their wing-backs out. So then again, and then you get a midfielder up. And it just creates an overload in the right areas of the pitch. Oh, where if you have, Yeah, you have the overloads, then you have the possibility to the third-man run. Exactly. I mean, you can run deep into the box. You can lay it off to Kane. He can play one into Mount of Foden or vice versa between the three. Because this is something England should have worked on, not just playing the 4-2-3-1. I mean, it works for certain tactics, yes, and it works for certain opponents. But you don't play it for 90 minutes, game in, game out. You just don't because you get figured out and teams will just sit back and defend and they'll work out, where, they'll work out the pattern. This is why you have to be pragmatic. And Selkett, looks, Selkett doesn't know what he's doing. That's why all these changes are like for like. He doesn't risk anything. And if you don't risk anything, you're never going to win anything. It's why I don't really like watching England. I mean, I watch them because I'm English, but I don't really, you know, the whole country's going crazy and it's coming home. It's not. And I know that I feel like I'm being aggressive and angry, but I'm just being honest about it because anyone who's a true England fan will see this, will see these things. I don't care if you're a Man City fan or you like Raheem Sterling. He does not deserve to be in this England side. He only got called up on past reputation. Not this season. He got called up on past reputation, which I think is wrong. I don't think he should be the problem, though. That seems to be the problem in international football, period. And I don't think that's just an England problem. It's an international football problem. That's just my take on that one. It is, because certain nations will always pick a certain player, no matter what. I mean... You know, Sergio Busquets had been called up for Spain, even though he had coronavirus. Um, Jordi Alba got called up for Spain. I don't think he's been that great this season. It should have been uh, Yuri Barishay and Jose Gaia that were the two left-backs in the Spain squad. But then again, Enrique's also a clown. 
you know, he has a chance to play the, another again. Could have played Aspen Equator at right back, but he's opted for um, who did he? Marcus Llorente, who's a centre attacking midfielder or centre midfielder. When he's got an actual right back, it's just crazy. And this is a problem with some international managers. They just don't really get a grip of the game. And I know some of them have managed clubs, of course, but it's a different thing. This is when one game, you screw one game and you're out. You screw one game in a season, you've still got 37 more to play and make it right. In an international tournament where every game counts, you can't afford to get it wrong. And I mean, England drawing to Scotland, I honestly think we'll probably draw to Czech Republic as well, creep through on five points. And that'll, that'll, that'll mean we finish second in the group because Czech Republic have a superior goal difference. And I believe if we finish second in our group, we play second in Group A, which will be Turkey, Switzerland, Wales or Italy. Probably Italy will win the group, so it will most likely be Wales. But then again, it will be the same sort of game against Wales that it is against Scotland. Only problem is, Wales will be braver than Scotland. Where do you, where do you see England going from here? Like, How do you see the round of 16 playing out depending on who they draw? Do you think you even have a chance at this point? Who knows? We're just so predictable. I think that I mean, if, if an Iceland team can beat us, I know that was five years ago, but I just don't think anybody fears us. People go on about all the attacking talent in the world, but when you don't know how to utilise it, you won't go anywhere with it. And I know that, you know, I want England to succeed, but Southgate is not the right man to take this team forward. He just isn't. We need a manager that can change things up halfway during a game. We need someone who's tactically genius. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, someone like Thomas Tuchel, Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola. On his, I know he's had a few weird ones lately, but you think of the best managers in the world. You know, even Carlo Ancelotti. They know mm-hmm. how to how to change things and when to change things. I look at Selkirk. I don't really see a leader. He kind of he kind of has the backing of a nation that he doesn't quite deserve. Oh, because we got to a World Cup semi final. And if we had been on the other side of the the draw in that World Cup final, we would have gone nowhere. That's a fair point to make. I'm just saying, though, English Football Association, if you need somebody, you can find me on Facebook. We can, we can work this out. I am available. England just need a pragmatic manager who's not as scared to attack teams that are worse than us. And that's no disrespect to Scotland. It's a fact. They're the third lowest ranked team in the tournament. We should be comfortably beating us. We're fourth. Don't know how we got there, but we are. And this is the sort of games you have to be willing to prove your credentials in a major tournament. And I'm just sick of seeing it because it's the same every year. People get all hyped up. Oh, we're going to win. We're going to win. We're not going to win. We fluke a few results in the group matches. Get an average side. We knock out in the, maybe in the first knockout round. And then we play a good side and we get outplayed and lose. It's been the same since 1966 after we won the World Cup. It's been the same ever since. We, don't, we can't win on penalties. We can't beat better teams than us. And now, this, is that down this, to mentality, though? Or is that down to tactics? Or is it a combination of both? Where are you well, at I with can't, that? Well, I can't really analyze what happened between 1966 and the first tournament I watched, which was Euro. I mean, I watched some of the 2002 World Cup, but I don't quite remember mm-hmm. it. Um, From what you can remember. Let's go off what you can remember. 2006 World Cup, we lost to Portugal on penalties. Um you know, that's just, we probably could have won that game. Maybe should have because we had our chances. Uh, 2008 Euros, we didn't even bloody qualify. 
2010 World Cup. Who did we lose to in that? Um, who did we lose to in the 2010 World Cup? Oh, it's Germany, 4-2. Um, 2014 World Cup. Lost to Italy. Lost to... Um, yeah, we lost to Italy, didn't we? Um, drew with Costa Rica. And uh, lost to Uruguay as well. So we finished that campaign with one, one point. 2016 Euros. Knocked out by Iceland. 2018 World Cup. Easiest run to a semi-final you're ever going to get. Um, so you think out of the major tournaments I've been alive for, we failed in pretty much all of them. That's fucking crazy. And it just, especially and now, it's the manager. It's not the players because some of the players they've got in that team are world class. And it's just about picking the right ones for the right game. And Selkick doesn't know how to do that because he feels like he has to pick Raheem Sterling. But I think he sees Ronaldo when he looks at him. Um. I mean, I, my mind is still blown at the fact that you said for most of the time that you've been alive, <clears throat> excuse me, for most of the time that you've been alive, England have been shit is basically what I've taken from that. And I'm not trying to insult England supporters or the England team. I'm just oh, saying that's the impression that I, I just got from you saying all that. That shit is fucking crazy. Most of your life that you can remember, England have not been that good in the place where football as we know it today was quote unquote invented, if you will. Wild. Well, it's a good thing I'm a Chelsea fan, then, isn't it? Because they know what success is. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, they do. Uh, yes. I'll, I'll say this I think England will draw with the Czech Republic, 0 0. And that'll leave both teams on five points and first and second in the group. Uh, Czech Republic will finish top because of their goal difference. We'll finish second. And we'll probably play whoever. I think it's we play second in Group A which I believe will be... I think it will probably be Wales because I think Switzerland and Turkey may draw. Mm -hmm. But again, but then again, it, it'll be Wales if they lose by less than three goals to um, Italy, I believe. But that Italian side is something else at the moment. Yeah, I don't comment on that one. I, I know just a brief little detour. I know we were talking about it the other day on Messenger. I'm not impressed. I think we need to pump the brakes with Italy until they get a quality side. All I'm going to say is so far, so good. England, though, so depending on who they draw, do you still think that there's a chance, even if they, you know, it ends up being Wales? Well, to win the tournament or? Just to get through the round of 16. I mean, they probably could beat Wales. They should. But then again, we know Wales are a dogged side and they, you know, they showed Belgium up in the last tournament. Um, Wales, Wales have got some quality. They've got a togetherness and, you know, they all play, they play for each other and the manager actually knows what he's doing. He sets his team up in a way where they can attack, but they can defend. And, you know, those Wales players defend for their lives. So it's probably be a similar story to what we saw today. But I think Wales have more players that can nick a goal. So I think if we played Wales, we wouldn't blitz past them either. I mean, I think Wales may be able to beat us, but we'd probably beat Wales. But then in the next round, we'd probably play a big nation and, well get played off the park. The way the the way the Euros is set up, I'm not a fan of it. I know you're not either. This this no, we, whole shit with the best I think it's what the four best third place sides or some shit. Yeah, we'll finish on this note. I think they should have just let eight more teams qualify. Yes. Extend extended the tournament slightly. Because you know mm -hmm. there's no club football till August anyway. Um 
extended the tournament and put you know eight more teams in two more groups and then you have 32 teams top two in each go through because then you won't see none of this negative football or oh, we'll play for a point today we only need a point no nobody wants to bloody watch that it's just so boring that's why I think the Champions League game should also be one leg instead of two. Oh, I'm with you on that one we can do a I whole just, another podcast on that alone like I said but and it makes more interesting football because I understand some countries have to, def- you know, they, they think they have to defend and counterattack. That's fine. But if we just in Sweden in this tournament, they've been so negative. And even Slovakia today, they were just like, ah, we'll take a point out of this. And, it's cost- and it cost them. In the end, it cost them because they were so negative and so defensive. They gave away a penalty and they lose 1 0. Because yeah. like this, at that point, when you've been playing defensively mindset the whole game, and then suddenly you're behind, then you have to switch and go to attacking mode. And you can't just wake up when you've been drilled to play a certain way the entire game. And, you know, then you have to switch on a dime and go get the ball and leave yourself more open. Whereas if you play with that attacking flair in the first place, you might have got the goal yourself. As a manager and as a coach myself, the best thing you can do with your, with your team is teach them balance. Know how to adapt to certain situations. Know when you have to sit in and defend. Know when you have to attack. And just make sure you're balanced so that you can do both. Because there, there's a lot of truth in what you just said there. When you're drilled a certain way, it's hard to... Um, once something is inculcated and ingratiated in that manner, it is really hard to unlearn everything. So, And it's about knowing your opponent as well. Like you, sh- you have to research the opponent you're playing. You have to know which player is going to play where, who's going to do what, how they play, their style of play, how do they press, how do they attack. Which side do they favor? I understand that part, and I'm not saying you're wrong, but in international football, they don't have the luxury that we call time like club sides do. No, you got to think that these guys only meet maybe for a couple of weeks. You play a couple of friendlies, and then boom, you're in a tournament. It's not exactly the ideal amount of time to prepare properly as you would on the club level where you 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 have all the time with the players or at the club every day. You know, there's so much. There's, there's that international football is such a different fucking animal. But what I mean is, if you 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 know who you're going to play about six months to a year in advance, mm-hmm. especially in this case, we knew our group from last summer. We knew who yep. we were going to play, so we should have. What the England team should have done is they should have got a scouting part. They should have got some of the backroom staff to look at these individual players from this. But they had a year, and international friendlies aren't coming on all the time. So they should have looked at those individual players in the Scotland side and the Scotland side's last few games in general. And, they, and same with Croatia, same with any international side, anyone you know you could play. Watch that side and learn how they play because then you can counter it. Then you can change something up and do something different. Know where they're weak, know where they're strong. And that's where a good tactical analysis comes in. Or you can write a report on a team and know where, the, know where they're weak so you know where your best chance of scoring a goal comes from or you know where their best chance of attacking you comes from. And then you can pick if you have a fullback, for example, if you have one that likes to bomb forward, but you know they're good down that side, maybe hit a more defensive-minded fullback. Because that way that stops their attack coming down that side and it could nullify their main threat. And they've got time to do that. Because that's just analysing another opponent, not your own players. And when you get in the meeting of these players, like I said, you get you get the time. You get, you know, at the start of a tournament, if you're not the first team in, you, you, you drill this into the players. You tell them their opponent is coming up. You, you drill it into them, who their best player is, how to attack them, and you get your tactics across. 
if it's not quite working out, you change something. You look at you look at other angles where maybe you're getting a lot of successes from crosses. You stick another striker in the box, or you encourage your players to get into the box. It's just simple things that can be done that I don't think are being done. That's a fair point. And obviously, but... me, me and you talk about this sort of thing because me and you, we love tactics. We love we love analyzing. We love tactics. We love breaking this shit down. And you know, I do this for a living if I could. But you should. You're good at it. It's all about observations and looking at things. And I don't think that, you know, I don't think Southgate fully understands that side of it. It's just like, well, I like Sterling, I'll pick him. And that's kind of how it feels. It's like, oh, I like you more, I'll pick you. And that's literally how I think he picks his team. Based on past glory and, oh, you've done, you know, you, you were here when I first came in, I'll keep picking you, despite the fact you're absolutely fucking useless. England's biggest problem is not the players. Well, Sterling's the problem. But England's main problem is the manager and the coaching staff. They don't know what they're doing. They have one trick, and sometimes it works. But he has no alternative formations. He doesn't know how to change the tactic during this game, and he doesn't pick players based on merit, because James Ward-Prowse should have been at the Euros. He would have been something different, a dead ball threat. He's great from long range. And that was something England could have used as a weapon to get a goal, especially with Grealish in the team, because he he gets he he buys fouls every game. He dies most of the time, but he'll buy you a foul. And if you can get someone, you can get some of Wolf Prowse's quality on the ball, whipping in a great cross, and it gives you a chance. And that could have been a weapon we had in our arsenal. Well, before we wrap up, your final thoughts on England? The floor is yours. I think I've said quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, you've kind of been in the background for this one. Um, I'm sure we can do one on the, and that analyzing the American team, which you'd love to berate them. <laughs> you'll get your you'll, you'll get your don't turn. Don't, don't no, you can you can berate you, you can berate them. It's all good. I don't I don't do. I'm allergic to that shit. I don't know. I'm good. Um, no, Alex though, whenever he gets a chance, could come on because Alex is like legitimately a wealth of knowledge in that department. And can see things objectively and doesn't lambast people quite like I do. But that'd be a good podcast. The man has great, a great sense for everything that is football in this sorry ass country and this sorry ass system full of sorry ass fucking people in a pyramid. I digress. Um, if, I can get, if I can get you two on, I can host that thing, I will do it. So that'd be an awesome podcast. It'd be great. Um, the Euros, though, I will say this because I just want to geek out real quick. Um, Shout out to the referees, man. The refereeing yes. has been outstanding. And I know people don't get excited about refereeing, but, you know, if you listen to the podcast, you know, refereeing has been exquisite. And these refs, they've been consistent. They haven't been taking any shit. They keep the, they keep the matches moving along. The interpretations of the laws are as fucking best as I've ever seen them. So I, I just hope this continues throughout the entire duration of the tournament. It's, it's, it's awesome. And the good thing is, I think we've seen something, that VAR works. And yeah, it does. But in the pro- it's the English officials in the Premier League that have the problem. And you think, like, the, the officials in this tournament, they've been so consistent. Like, they've, you know, there's not been too many yellow cards, but the players they've booked have been deserved. Yep. And they've booked a lot of players for diving too, which is something you, I, I, I like seeing, because you're not just going to fall over and buy a penalty. I hate, and I love the fact that the referees have been on it. Like, none of them will take any shit from anybody. They've been great with head injuries and medical problems. 
you know, the minute they've seen something, they stop the play, especially for Christian Eriksen, which um, on this podcast, um, I just want to say that I'm, we're both very grateful that he's alive and he's okay. And I think that the medical team, the referee in that game was Anthony Taylor. It was um, Anthony Taylor. Uh, Simon Kiar as well. I think, you know, he reacted so quickly to, you know, stop Eriksen swallowing his tongue and get him on his back ready for CPR. And the medical team did a fantastic job and the Belgian, uh, Danish players as well for the way they stood around Eriksen because the media coverage was disgusting of that. They didn't even yeah. cut it off. I have thoughts on that. Yeah, but the main thing is that Christian Eriksen is okay. And he's okay. And he's out of hospital now, so mm-hmm. hopefully he can spend some time with his family and take it easy, and uh, hopefully he can work out what he wants to do next. Yeah, that's last I, last update I got was he has spoken to his his um international teammates and that he is on his way home with his his girlfriend and his two kids. So that's that's the only fucking thing that matters is that Christian Eriksen's alive and well. Yeah, because that was harrowing watching that. And UEFA, you know, the BBC actually had to apologise because UEFA didn't cut the coverage. They said UEFA, because UEFA controlled all the coverage at the uh, Euros. That's a whole nother podcast in itself. I don't want to talk about UEFA because I've got my own issues with them, but... I mean, like you said, at the end of the day, he's okay and that's all the fuck that matters. Exactly. Um, Anything else you want to add before we wrap up my uh, rant? Uh, Just, you know... (laughs) The usual administrative stuff. If you enjoy the pod, I, we, would, we would appreciate it if you leave it a five-star rating, if you can, in whatever app you listen to us in. If, you're, if you listen to us on iTunes, uh, you can like, subscribe, rate, review. Um, you can get in contact with us at onthepitchpod at outlook.com, on Twitter at onthepitchpod1. And uh, we have a Facebook group on the pitch. Please answer the three bloody questions. It's a good time in that group. It's been great, actually. The last couple of days have been awesome. Just all the activity we've had surrounding the Euros and other stuff. Great group. Really appreciate everybody in there. Even if you don't support Chelsea, it's okay. We all make mistakes. I forgive you. Um, (laughs) You can also... Find us on Facebook. There's an actual on-the-pitch podcast page where I usually will put either news and I will also post when the podcasts go up. I will also post them over on that page. With that being said, we hope that you continue to enjoy the Euros. Hopefully, the next time we're on this podcast, Ash won't be so wound up. But I promise you he'll, he'll be okay, people. But I until promise, next- I promise nothing. <laughs> but until next time, wherever you are in the world, we wish you a good morning, a good afternoon, and a good night. We will speak to you soon. Be safe and enjoy the Euros.